0: All right. Let's take our Bibles and turn, if you would, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter four is where we are tonight. We return to this final section of Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Philippians chapter four, and verses ten to fourteen. is the the text that we have been endeavoring into. Last week we started into this great text, as you may remember, and we titled our message from that, A Provisional Consideration. A Provisional Consideration. And the provisional nature was not with respect to something that was was temporary um, or preliminary but rather it was with regards to that which was being provided so it was a provisional consideration in consideration of that which was provided and here in our text we're speaking primarily of monetary provisions so we Think of all of the different ways in which God makes provisions for us. And yet here in our text, Paul focuses primarily on monetary provisions. And we looked at the first of two points last week. Let's go ahead and read our text. And I'll remind you quickly of those two points and we'll dive into our next two for tonight. Philippians 4 and verse 10, if you'd follow along. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, your work you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled And of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So, as we consider this text in our title, A Provisional Consideration, last week again we looked at our first two points. That first point was a changing passion in verse 10. A changing passion. And the Philippians had earlier given Paul gifts in their ministry, but since then they'd not had an opportunity to do so again. Financially, they were simply unable. They had desired to yet give. They they loved Paul. They loved his ministry. They wanted to be supporters of it, but there simply was not an opportunity because of the circumstances that they were in. So even though they had desired to give but couldn't, now things had changed and now they were excited to give. And Paul was excited to receive it, hence his great rejoicing in the Lord in the beginning there of verse 10. This was a changing passion, a desire that they had that they could not act upon that now had changed and now there was an earnest excitement by both Paul and by the Philippian church to participate in his ministry. And after our first point, the changing passion, we looked at our second point, which was a cyclical portion. A cyclical portion. And this point explained verse 10 in verses 11 and 12. And it was so that no one could accuse Paul of being driven by money. Paul explains the cyclical portions that he had experienced in his life. Both those of poverty and of abundance. And he confirms that his rejoicing in verse 10 is not from want that is now being provided through this physical gift. So it's not because of the gift itself, but rather it's because of the Philippians. Because of their desire And their ability which God has now brought about. And that's why in verse 10 Paul's rejoicing is in the Lord. So he addresses the cyclical provisions here of poverty and of abundance. And that in either he was content. And a wonderful lesson and many details that you can go back and refresh yourself on from what we discussed last week. Well, then in verse 13, it takes us to our third point and our first point for this evening. And that third point I've titled, A Complete Provision. A Complete Provision. Look at verse 13 with me as we reflect on that text. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This, of course, is a very familiar verse. Uh, Many of you doubtlessly have memorized this verse. When I was uh, ministering in Santa Clarita, we had uh, a large Christian school there at the church, and we would, uh, of course, go to all of the graduations, so there would be a, a full week of graduation. You'd have your kindergarten graduation, which I still swear by is the greatest entertainment in Los Angeles County. It was priceless. And then we would have our sixth grade graduation, and then we'd have our eighth grade graduation, and then we'd have our high school graduation. And in all of the upper three graduations, of course, each of the kids had a moment to come up and speak. They weren't huge graduations, but it was the largest Christian school in northern Los Angeles County. And so, you know, you'd have a hundred or so kids, and they would all have a chance to recite their memory verse. And I wish I had a penny for every time I heard this verse as the favorite verse. Because it was over and over again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, from the sixth graders to the high schoolers, and and it was wonderful. And it is a wonderful verse, but uh, definitely was uh, one that was very familiar, and, and I know is to you as well. It's interesting that the King James Version and the New King James Version actually insert Christ in the text and And they say, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me," and that is an appropriate inclusion that is indeed the reference that we we see being brought about here, and uh, although not in the original text, it is again nonetheless accurate and and we see this similar thing in in wonderful texts like acts seventeen twenty eight you know I just as I've been reading through the scripture and kind of come through Acts often, as I've mentioned to you, that's one of the books that I read on a daily basis in my Bible reading program. Acts 17 has just continued to strike me, particularly like verses 24 to the end of the chapter. They're just powerful. So much meat in there as Paul addresses the uh, um, the folks there in... I hate it when the elevator won't get to the top. Um, in in Athens? No? Okay, well, I just can't go on. You know, this is a challenge. It's at the Oropagus. It's in Greece. It is at Athens. That was right. Okay, amazing. Just... So he goes there, and he brings this wonderful text, and amidst this statement that he's talking to them about how they have a statue even to an unknown God, and he knows who it is. Um, I I hope you can all draw some solace from that little moment, and I'm not, but that's okay. Um, Acts 17, 28 is uh, where I was going, and that's such a, a great text Acts 17, 28, Paul tells them that in Him, as he's talking about this God who they do not know, in Him we live and we move and we exist. And isn't that the reality of who God is? Our entire existence, of course our lives, but even our very movement Everything that we do is that which God controls. Now, we see that most clearly and when we think of our prayer requests and some in our family who have some debilitating challenges in their lives. Um, You have a knee replacement surgery and you're not able to move. We understand very clearly at those times what a gift our ability to function in our bodies is. And And our very existence is that which is in God. So when we talk about this idea of doing all things through him who strengthens me, it is God who strengthens us. It is in him by which we live and move and exist. Verse 13 begins there, and it says, I can do all things. The all things is at the beginning of the Greek sentence and it shows that there is an emphatic nature to that particular portion of the text. So the proclamation is unlimited with respect to its scope. All that Paul is speaking about applies to every facet of life. There's nothing that is excluded And that's what it shows us when it brings this word all to the beginning of the sentence. Although it would be the object of the sentence and at the end it's brought forward to show that it's all things. There's nothing that is limited in this consideration. Now the context, which is vital in every case, of our text as we've discussed is money and provisions in giving. But this statement is unilateral in all that it applies to. He says that in all things that he can do them through Christ who strengthens him. And that's what he says, in all things he is able, or as in verse 13 says, I can do all things. Now, this is not just a minor ability. This isn't the the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. This is a powerful statement. The the root of this word is physical strength. It is physical power or even intellectual ability that is driven into a circumstance. In Acts 19, this verb is translated as overpowered them. So this is an, an overpowering element by which he can do them. If we went, uh, went back and, and understood some of these different components in Acts 19. Acts 19 and verse 20, for instance, we see it used there as well. And it says in Acts 19 and verse 20, So the word of the Lord was growing mightily, And prevailing. That word prevailing is this same word, I can do it. It was dominating over all things. So when Paul says he can do all things, he means that there is nothing that is outside of his ability. So that is, it is a, a major statement. James 5.16 uses the same phrase where it says the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. That accomplishes much is this same verb. It is, it is dominant in the power of prayer to accomplish great things. So there is a tremendous amount of power and, and this word can is a word of great power. And then at the end of the verse, it tells us where this comes from. It is through or in him who strengthens me. Now, it's important that we see this because without that we might think, well, somehow Paul did this on his own. Paul was an amazing man. Paul was a man who was imbued probably with all of the spiritual gifts of that time. Spoken tongues, was able to heal, was able to prophesy... And so, we might think, well, this was just Paul. This was because he was a, a very unique man for a very unique time. But that was not it at all. And he immediately acknowledges where the power was from. And, and this is a, a critical point throughout the scripture. We see the nation of Israel not reflecting where the power that they received came from. We see Herod not reflecting where the power ...that he received came from. And therein, as the crowd is crying out the voice of God and not a man... ...and he does not give glory to God... ...God sends a consuming influence of worms which eat his body... ...because he does not acknowledge God. So this is critical that Paul brings this forward. And this word strengthens means to input power or to make strong... So with the main verb, can, this is like a double measure of power that's brought together. This is an extremely emphatic statement. In Acts 9, it says, Saul kept increasing in strength. Same, same phrase, there is, an, there is an ongoing accumulation of strength and power that's going on. We see another example of this in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. Paul writes in in Romans 4 and verse 20, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So even here, the, the power of God by which faith is shown is evidenced by this same word. This is, again, not Paul's own strength, but it is that which God has put in him. And here's the key, beloved, it's the same in you, and it's the same in me. This is the same power that God has put in every believer in Christ. Dr. MacArthur notes that uh, a a perfect connectivity to this comes in the very familiar verse to us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. As Paul proclaims that all that he does is through the power of Christ, that he has indeed been crucified on this earth and living his life as if he was dead to himself And dead to his flesh because it is now Christ who has strengthened him for this role and this is the same for us if we are believers in Christ it is Christ who has strengthens us as we've said it is him in whom we live it's him in whom we exist it's him in whom we have our being and in all things we are strengthened in him and can do all things It's wonderful to understand some of the other Scripture references that connect to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 10 says, Therefore I am well content with meekness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. And we stop right there and we say, is this us? That's, that's a big statement. I am well content with weakness, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In our own strength, we have nothing to bring. If we're relying on ourselves, we are going to fall apart in a moment's notice. I, I have no ability in and of myself. It's the power of God that has the strength. It is Christ who strengthens me. The only way I can do anything, let alone all things, is through Christ. Uh, another wonderful text that brings some great light to this, one of my favorite sections of scriptures in Ephesians chapter 3. And verse 16 through 20. Listen to these verses and just consider as I read through them this idea of being strengthened in God in all of the things that are a part of a believer's life. Uh, we'll just go to verse 14 for context. For this reason, Ephesians 3 and 14. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Therein we understand our origin. "...that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man." Strengthened with the power of God's Spirit... Think about how much power that is for a minute. This is the power source that hovered, that rekiahed in Genesis 1-2 over the surface of the deep and fluttered and imparted the energy into the lifeless creation to bring about all that we know. That lives in you. That's the power you've got. That's kind of big. You know, we sometimes find ourselves thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a little you know, underpowered or unable to do some of these things. This is the power that you have in you. Remember what Christ said as the disciples came there on the, the third day? on Wednesday, by the way, as he came back into Jerusalem and they looked at the fig tree that he had cursed the day before and it was withered to the root and they're overwhelmed. How did this happen so fast? And Jesus says to them, what? If you have faith, but as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be picked up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. That's the power of the Spirit of God. That is the reality of the power that is working within us. He goes on in verse, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17 of Ephesians 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, every one of you, every one of us, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Okay, time out. I got the whole engineering thing going. I got the width and height and length. I can do that all day long. I can draw it. I can show it to you. We can model it. We can get it on a computer. But where's this breadth thing come in? Where do we find a fourth dimension that is a spatial dimension? But that's what we have the power to comprehend because Christ dwells in us. This is, this is what Christ shows in our heart, this depth of faith that we are able to understand and he goes on in verse 19 and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God how glorious is it to be filled with the spirit of Christ the spirit of God and empowered in that to understand that we are full of Christ and able to comprehend a four dimensional idea that is beyond our human comprehension And now, as we are filled with the fullness of God, to understand what? The love of Christ. Is it not overwhelming to understand Christ's love for us? How did he love me? Why did he love me? Why would he love me? But this is what we comprehend in him. And then verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful picture of being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through him who strengthens me. It is the power of God, it is the Father, it is the Son, it is the Spirit that dwells in us and in which we can, beloved, do all things. This is a complete provision. It was Paul's and it is yours and it is glorious to behold. Our fourth point in verse 14 is a concerned participation. A concerned participation. Look at verse 14 with me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul begins with this connecting conjunction that looks back on verses 11 to 13. His acknowledgement of not needing the gift because he can be content even in poverty. That's what he said back in verse 11 and 12. And then he said that it's Christ who strengthens him, further adding support, further adding power to the fact that he is indeed content in any circumstance, be it poverty or abundance. So as he has made these statements, he now turns the corner and brings us in with this statement, nevertheless, this contrasting conjunction because he wants uh, them to understand and by application us understand that it doesn't appear that he's somehow ungrateful. He's not saying, I really don't need your gift. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that you can give, but I really didn't need it. He's not bringing any kind of demeaning element upon the gift. He's not saying that I don't need you because I have Christ. So he turns around and he, in case there's anyone who might be tempted to say, you know, Paul, it kind of sounds like it's a little bit of a light slap in the face to say, no, 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 no. Do not misunderstand. I want you simply to see how ecstatic I am in what you have done and nevertheless you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He carefully adds his thanks for their participation. He's concerned that, again, they could misconstrue his statement and he tells them that they have done well. Here he compliments them while he's expressing his thanks uh, as he tells them that that you have done well. This is a good thing that you have done. This is a blessing that you have provided. It's wonderful that you've had this heart to give and now are able. And you have done well in that. And this accolade is because of their sharing in his trouble, sharing in his tribulation, literally, sharing in his affliction, in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, we see the same phrase reference where John says, um, That's 3rd John. Let's get to Revelation. Revelation 1 and 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. John recognizes himself as one who also is partaking in this tribulation. And this phrase is specifically referring to financial participation, as it also does in Hebrews. Now, we've just been through the book of Hebrews, and if we jumped ahead to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32, we would be reminded of this exact same phrase and the same financial contribution and context that it's brought in. Hebrews ten thirty-two says, "...but remember the former days..." When after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and here it is, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. His reference there to sharers with those who were so treated reflects their financial sharing. He's already shared their, their physical participation in the previous phrases. So now he is again reinforcing the point that this is a participation through affliction that comes through financial support. Every one of us can relate to that, can't we? I think there's probably never been a time where one of us wasn't kind of in a financial strait of some kind and wondering what was going to happen and how it was going to be taken care of. You know, story after story after story of seminarian who was dead broke and trying to figure out how they were going to make it through the next week and get their wife and kids fed, and the next thing you know, there's a knock on the door, and there are bags of groceries sitting on the doorstep and no one around. We go back and we read stories of Hudson Taylor and how he was unwilling to even ask his boss, who was a forgetful surgeon, for his rightful payment. Because he believed he had to have greater faith to go on the ministry. And we see some tremendous stories of that. As he even gave away his very last penny to a starving family. And amazingly the Lord provided. Or George Mueller or uh, Scott Basolo, who was just about, had an empty checkbook, and the brakes went out in his truck, which made it unsafe, and that's all that I had to drive into seminary. So I was going to go have the brake fixed, only to find out that the rotors had been burnt up too, because we'd been coming down the huge grade in San Bernardino, pulling a fifth wheel. And I had 1200 bucks that I had to dish out for that and put on a credit card that I knew not what to do with, And the next day in chapel, John MacArthur stands up and goes, a donor came in and gave us a big check, and we have a $1,000 check outside for every one of you. I just went, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And there are story after story. And these are are God's provision in participating in tribulation. And we've all seen it. We've all seen it. And it is incredible to understand this wonderful provision. Paul's continual proclamation is that all of this is from God. His great rejoicing in all this provision is in the Lord, back in verse 10. I'm rejoicing greatly in the Lord. And then we get to verse 13, and he acknowledges that his ability to do everything is in him who strengthens me, in Christ who strengthens me. Indeed, his his ability to do not just everything, but to do anything. Beloved, we must remember to rely upon the Lord in all things in our life. There is nothing which he is not in control of. There is nothing which he is not concerned about. There is nothing that his fingerprints are not all over in our lives, for in him we live and we exist and we have our being What a glorious understanding of this provision of God. And beloved, this is the message about provision. It is the message about life. It is the message about everything because it is the message that's all because of God. And when we lose sight of Him, when our our mind is drawn off because of the busyness of the world or whatever's going around us that that has drawn our attention and our focus away from God then we begin to lose sight on the source of the power and the provision which we have in all things. What an amazing God we serve that has not done, just done all these things for us, but he has showed them to us. He has revealed them so that we would know. He has revealed them so that we would understand the power that lives with us in a spirit, so that we would understand incomprehensible things, and so that through the Father, we would understand the love of the Son. And this to strengthen us, this to carry us forward, this to propel us out into the world that will seek to tear us down, seek to demean us, seek to mock us, seek to laugh at us, but to no avail. Because in all I can do all things in Him who strengthens me. May that be the continual reminder of us each and every day as we glorify our glorious Father.